the sermon for the folks at home that can't be here. So verse 13, they were not born, but not of blood. In other words, their bloodline or who their parents were did not have to do with this birth. Number two, nor of the will of the flesh. Their fleshly will and ability was not the purpose or the background behind this change. Nor of the will of man himself, but of God. Let's pray. Lord God, as we get into your word today, we just pray that you would lead and guide us in these things. We know that we are a sinful people and we resist the apprehension of the truth that you give us. That epistemologically, Lord God, we are enemies of your word by nature, but by the grace that you give us, we are friends through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we pray, Lord God, that you would even fight against us in this thing and wrestle us to the ground and bring us to the place where we can actually hear you and see you and apprehend you in our hearts and minds so that we might be your people. We praise you for this blessing in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now we're moving ahead because we read those verses last week and we're going to go to verse 35. If you really wanted to know some things about the baptism and such, we'll get back to those later. But in verse 35, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. That's John the Baptist, not the John that wrote the book. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said, What are you seeking? He actually stopped and asked him, Okay, what are you looking for? What's your racket? What's your interest in this whole process? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. So they gave him a sign of respect, right? Where are you you staying? Where are you going? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. And it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus and looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now there's a lot in there that you can easily rush by as you're just reading the narrative. We all know the power of the narrative text. Most of the Bible is not written like a textbook or a manual. It's written in stories where things happen with real people at real times with real feelings toward a real end. And so everything that's in here has an ultimate meaning. You know, one of the big arguments against the Bible these days is that many of these texts and many of these words aren't really what they could be at that time and in this place. Here there's a quibble over the nature of the Hebrew versus the Greek in the text. On an ongoing basis, many folks ask, what's the best translation of the Bible? Or what are the good ones and what are the bad ones? Well, as you know, I was raised on the King James, so that's the only good one. No, I'm just kidding about that. But really, on my phone right now, I can open it up and I can reach about 125 different translations of the Bible. We have the Greek text. We have the Hebrew text. We have a lot of English text. You know, when the King James was written... It was written kind of to replace the Geneva version of the Bible that was mainly for people in this kind of denomination. And so they wanted an authorized text, so they picked King James, and King James authorized it, so it must be right. Because we are all British royal citizens, right? (laughs) Now, if you go back 350, 400 years, then you have a translation of the text. We have the problem now that a lot of people can't read it. 
We have the problem that a lot of people can't read. That's a public education thing. You can take that up with the guys after the service. We're not getting political. We're getting theological. So there's the issue of what is the right translation. Well, the fact is, once you get past the Hebrew, and once you get past the Greek, it's all a translation. This ESV that this church uses, the NIV, the, e, the NASB, the King James Version, the New King James Version, all of them are fallible translations from the original documents and languages into English, so you've got to pick the best one you can get. What you're looking for is a faithful translation, word for word, from the original language into the language that you speak. In other words, for people in Mexico, the King James is not the best option. <laughs> nor in Russia, nor in Denmark. Once it's a translation, you have a step of human ingenuity in there that can be better or that can be worse. And so, you know, there's the big five to seven that are faithful translations that all have a little bit of a different wording. But I want to tell you why they all say different things on things like John 3.16. Because once they translate it, and once the publisher, which is probably worth hundreds of millions of dollars, publishes that text, they have a copyright on it. And no one else can translate it exactly that way. That's why every publisher has their own text, and that's why you no longer know what the Bible says. You do, though, right? But the translation will be a little different because somebody owns that text. One of the cool things about the King James is nobody owns it anymore. Publishing doesn't go back that far. So when you're looking for a Bible, what you want is a faithful translation that is not, in actuality, a commentary. What's a commentary? A commentary is my opinion about what the book says. Already interpreted for you to give you my specific theology instead of the Bible itself. There are many translations that are not translations at all. They're really just one guy's opinion. And what you want is to know what it says, word for word, from the text, Translate it as faithfully as possible so you can receive it in English. Now, for a lot of you who are serious about this matter and you don't want any opportunity to be fooled by anybody at any time, you are going to have to learn Greek. Yeah. It's not that bad. You are going to have to learn Greek if every time you open the Bible and you look to a verse and you want to know the interpretation of it and you see a word there, you're like, what does that word really mean? What's going on in there? You might have to spend a year or two of diligent study learning so that nobody else has to tell you what it says. You know exactly what it says. That's the safest, strongest method. For the rest of us, we are, to a certain degree, depending upon other people translating the text for us. And that's okay. We just have to be careful. Now here we get a translation issue. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. And then they translate Messiah for us from the Hebrew and Aramaic into the Greek, which means Christ. Why was it given to us in Greek? Because the New Testament writers, they spoke Greek. They didn't speak Hebrew. A couple of hundred years before this happens, there was a guy from Greece that came and conquered the entire world all the way from Greece to India. Anybody remember his name? Alexander. Alexander the Great. And Alexander spoke Greek. And he had, like, you know, armies and elephants. And he told them, he said, y'all are going to speak Greek. And they were like, yes, sir. 
So when he gets there, the entire world has already been unified into a common language, this language Greek. That was the English of the day. These days, you can go just about anywhere in the world and find somebody that spoke English. In those days, you found somebody that spoke Greek. And the whole world, as it were, spoke this common language. So when it was written, the New Testament was written in Greek, not Hebrew, for the reason that it could go everywhere in the world with the message of Jesus. Then he changes Simon's name. You are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now notice... He calls him Cephas, and then they translate it into Greek, Peter, so that everybody knows what's going on. Why wasn't Cephas enough? Because nobody knew what a Cephas was. <laughs> so then they even translate it for you within the text. Does this seem like a text that's not paying attention to fine and intimate details? They're giving you a translation of a translation in the text itself. So, so we know him by the name Peter. But they didn't call him Peter. They called him Cephas. But his name was Simon. And Peter means the rock. Because Cephas means the rock. And this is the calling of this man who before this moment did not know Jesus at all. Verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, in the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also in the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? There's a proverb in the Bible about nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Nazareth. There's probably some around here too. What's the city around here that nothing good comes out of? What is it? Memphis? Can anything good come out of Memphis? Yeah, I'm from Memphis. So that's what you're seeing there. But notice the way Jesus calls guys. He just goes up and he says, follow me. And they come. They don't necessarily know why. As we go deeper into the text, we start to find out all kinds of reasons why Jesus knew exactly who they were and what they were. And he came and told them. And they immediately followed. They left behind possessions. And they left behind families. And they left behind jobs. And they left behind property. And they went to follow this guy just walking around in the desert for three years. I, I really think not a single one of us would do it. Would you? He goes up to one and he says, follow me. The guy says, well, I just have to go back and, and kiss my mother and father goodbye. He goes to another one and he says, I just have to finish plowing this field. And he tells him, anybody who comes after me and puts their hand back to the plow, he's not worthy of this place we're going. This is the serious business of heaven that's being done on earth. There is a calling. The reason I'm going to this with you is not because this is an in uh, a, a dependent text. It's an indicative text. It's not meant to tell you what to do. It's meant to show you what's already been done. But in another way, every single one of you has experienced the same thing where Jesus came to you and he said, follow me. Now you might have thought you were out there finding him. You did all the work yourself and then finally you got to Jesus and frankly he's lucky to have you. What we tend to see from Scripture is that a person's entire life has been crafted and guided by God up until this place where he comes to them and he says, follow me, and they're completely ready. 
they might not have known that their entire life they have been waiting for that specific moment to hear that voice and that call. But when they hear it, they respond to it with joy. And they're willing to leave behind everything. Because Jesus called them. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Do you see how he knew what was in them? The way he knows what's in us. Nathanael told him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. This gets a little deeper into the nature of the book of John, which is all about Jesus' deity in a deeper way than even Matthew, Mark, or Luke. It's talking about him as God. You know, these days we have, this, we have the, the science fiction and we have the superhero movies. And one of the most cool powers to have is to be able to see things far away that you can't see or, or all of these different things. I mean, we, we always ask, what would you do if you got one superpower? Would it be invulnerability? Would it be super strength? Would you be able to fly? I'm asking, serious. Which one? I'm just kidding. <laughs> he could see and know the internal states of a person's heart and what was going on with them before he ever met them. So he knew exactly who Nathaniel was, and Nathaniel knows that he knew, and Nathaniel is shocked by it. Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. In other words, this is small potatoes. Wait till you see what happens next. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He calls him and he gives him a promise. That he is going to see things unheard of within the entire scope of human history. He gets to experience them all. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 8. Now what the Gospels go through in narrative history, the Apostle Paul often gives the textbook answer. He gives the clarification where he says exactly what happened and why and what it ultimately means. Let's go to verse 31. Excuse me. Let's go to verse 27. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit. So the one that searches our hearts and understands us, he also has the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. Now, in case you think saints are plaster statues in a church somewhere for old dead people, you are the saints. You're just the living ones. You're not plaster yet. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Again, talking about you. I don't want to place you in a position of self-aggrandizement or anything, but I want you to recognize that just as Peter was called and Nathaniel was called, you were called. And you might remember that as a specific date at a specific time when you were sitting in a pew or you were sitting on a chair when your grandmother or your father or a friend of yours told you the gospel of Jesus Christ and you were cut to the heart and you were changed. You might remember a birthday. You might remember a birth moment. Maybe you were sitting in front of a TV at 3 in the morning in some kind of crummy hotel. All of a sudden, some preacher comes on there, and you're like, wow, 
Or maybe you were alone and you were reading your Bible before God and God reached into your soul and brought you from death to life. We've all got a story about that. I don't have a birthday. It was more of an era. (laughs) All I know is at one time, I was pretty shaky on all that, and by the end of it, I believed in Jesus. I told you before, one of the instruments that God used as a chisel in his hand was my friend James Ray, who was a committed Mormon. He had 11 mothers and 72 brothers and sisters and one dad. And I was a pastor's kid, and he knew the Bible way better than me. He made me feel ashamed. I was like, I'm going to show him. I'm going to read this thing. I thought it would take me a couple days. A couple of years later, I'm sure I was a Christian. I don't know when it exactly happened in the scope, but by the time I was done with it, I believed every word of it. I had been confronted with this Jesus of heaven. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This thing about calling, it comes up again and again and again. And we want you to know that if you feel or know that calling upon your heart today, you're supposed to be responsive to it. What do I do if I think I actually believe this thing? If I actually believe that God visited humankind and he took on a body and he died in my place and he rose again from the dead on the third day so that if I believe in him, I have everlasting life. What am I supposed to do? Well, you just believe it. That's all there is to do. There's a lot more that comes later, like a life that's correspondent to it and a way that you live and a way you treat other people. But none of that's the gospel. The gospel is just believing in Jesus unto life because you have experienced the call of God, the call unto salvation. Let's take a look at the book of Acts. Let's take a look at the conversion of Paul. Chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that was a word for Christianity, men or women, he might bring them bound in chains to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So obviously, Paul had spent a lot of time considering himself, and he was seeking Jesus. No, that's not the story, is it? 
All through the previous chapters, he's been murdering and persecuting Christians. He's the prosecuting attorney at the trial of Christians to bring about their death for apostasy, for heresy, and for atheism. And then all of a sudden, at a moment of his life, at exactly the right time, at exactly the right place, a light shines down from heaven, and Paul is confronted with Jesus, who gives him orders. Now notice, this does not enter into a debate. Have you ever seen the Apostle Paul anywhere in the Bible not enter into a debate? He will fight with anybody at any time about Jesus. But he doesn't fight with Jesus. He said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground. Although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight. He neither ate nor drank. Paul's conversion is a special conversion, isn't it? He had no inclination toward the things of the true living God. He had a commitment to the pre-existing religion of Judaism, but a sparse and ugly, poor interpretation of it. And then Jesus comes and he grabs him, not because he's better than other men and not because he's holy. He's possibly one of the evilest characters in the entire New Testament. And Jesus calls him and breaks his heart and tells him, you've been such a fool, but I've got a place for you. I've got a life for you. He opens his heart, he opens his mind, he blinds his eyes to teach him that he had been a blind fool for so long. Then he has to go to a poor Jewish convert. And that man has to pray for him and take something like scales off his eyes that he can see again. And he immediately goes out to the synagogues that he was supposed to go and get people and drag them to Jerusalem so that they could be executed. And he starts preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he becomes the evangelist par excellence of the entire New Testament era, traveling the entire world three times, telling people the gospel of Jesus and creating churches everywhere along the way because he was called. Now, I know you've been called to faith in Christ. I don't know what else you've been called to, but I want you to stop resisting Jesus. First of all, it's just a bad idea. He's stronger than you, he'll win. But second of all, why struggle? Why kick against the goads? Why not just do what he's called you to do? If he's called you to preach, preach. If he's called you to teach, teach. If he's called you to serve, serve. If he's called you to tell somebody the gospel and you're resistant because it's like, I know this person's never going to be converted. Don't you think everybody thought Saul would never be converted? Do you have your list in your mind of the people that God can't save? I've had a few. Some of them are pastors now. I'm just telling you. Might have been a time in my life when people would have said that about me. I don't know. God's calling is irrevocable. And let's let today be the day, right? Lord God, our Father, in all of these good gifts that you've given us, we know, Lord God, that you have called us to be a part of your body, the church. We know that you've given us new life. You've taken our heart of stone and changed it into a heart of flesh. One Lord God that used to be crude and ugly and broken. And you've made it full of flesh and blood, Lord God. We're alive. We breathe, Lord God. We stand. We run. We feel the wind in our face, Lord God. And we are alive in you. We praise you for this great blessing in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
number There is choir practice today at 5.30. All of you are invited if you would like to sing. We'll be preparing songs for two weeks from now. Also, after the service, we'll have an update on the denominational things that Michael and I experienced at Synod. Uh, we suffered, so you don't have to. And now, uh, uh, Also, next week, I know a lot of you have stuff to do for Father's Day. Please go ahead and do those family things. But for those of you that don't have a, a, a lot of stuff to do, we will have a, an informal potluck here after service next Sunday after church. So now we're going to have the blessing. And of course, this isn't where I bless you. Again, it's just a proclamation on behalf of Christ that if you believe the gospel here heard, that all of the blessings therein are for you. May the Lord your God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.
Thank you. 